Next Wave Global Trade from EY. Hello and welcome to a brand new podcast series from EY Global Services. I'm Justine Green and with global trade experiencing such uncertain times, we'll be looking at how organisations can respond to survive and grow. Each episode will be joined by expert guests to share their opinion and insight on our theme. Our focus this time is forced labour and its impact on supply chains. Joining me digitally from Washington, D.C. is Brenda Brockman-Smith, Executive Assistant Commissioner for the Office of Trade, U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Hello, Brenda. Hello, Justine. And also from the Washington area, Dan Dreyfus, Global Trade and Customs Leader at EY. Hello, Dan. Hello, Justine. Hello, Brenda. Great to be with you. Brenda, can you give us an idea of the scale of forced labour? Is it becoming more or less of a problem? Justine, the the numbers around forced labour around the world are staggering. In 2016, the International Labour Organization estimated that there are approximately 25 million people trapped in situations of forced labour around the world. 58% of those individuals are women and girls, and nearly 10 million of those people are children. The majority of the forced labor victims work in the private sector in industries like agriculture, mining, and construction. And they are a serious human rights abuse, but also um, directly threaten the economy by putting law-abiding businesses in competition with entities that use forced labor to lower their production costs. So just summarize for us, what does the U.S. Customs and Border Protection do? Our efforts focused at forced labor are actually part of our larger homeland security and economic security mission. Um, We are the agency in the United States that is responsible for securing the homeland and standing on the borders, regulating the flow of people and goods into the United States. Now, Dan, what sort of impact does forced labor have on supply chains? I think traditionally the protection of the brand uh, ultimately, the value of the brand in the eyes of consumers and investors has really been a concern. The supplier contracts and uh, N-tier supplier flow-down requirements are an issue. So forced labor can really have an impact throughout that entire spectrum and continuum uh, relative to supply chains, especially in the large and complex ones. Uh, forced labor can really undermine the brand It reduces credibility. Um, Ultimately, it reduces shareholder value. And uh, sad to say, but ultimately, that's the big motivator for companies as uh, good of a corporate citizen as uh, everybody wants to be. I think uh, right now in particular, we're living obviously such a a strange time and a poignant time. The pandemic introduces even uh, additional risks relative to forced labor. Uh, It certainly increases the potential for exploitation. So companies that have had pressures financially might hire or undertake practices they might not have otherwise. I'm not saying they will, but it offers an opportunity, especially in places where vigilance may not be what it is everywhere else. Uh, It reduces uh, the very diligence itself in terms of responding to potential identified forced labor issues, whether that's uh, restraints in terms of uh, in-person inspections or checks that uh, are, are not allowed during a, a pandemic or a lockdown. And then ultimately, uh, it also potentially increases exposure to already vulnerable demographics, particularly maybe children and women. And when we think about the pressures that households around the world have to 
recuperate uh, and even generate income in these very trying times that offers opportunities for exploitation. All of those have significant potential impacts um, on supply chains. So, Brenda, how are U.S. Customs and Border Protection working with other countries and organizations to help combat forced labor? Uh, Customs and Border Protection has worked directly with our customs colleagues in the UK and in Australia. But we have also begun to work with colleagues in Canada and Mexico under the newly implemented US-Mexico-Canada agreement, which replaced the NAFTA or the North American Free Trade Agreement. We believe that by using our customs authorities to um, get visibility into global supply chains, but also to send the economic message that goods made with forced labor are not acceptable in the U.S. and spreading that type of authority to other countries, we will be able to send a really strong message that um, our companies need to face a level playing field and that we need to protect those vulnerable demographics that Dan referred to. Well, many people around the world are becoming more aware of how the products they buy are produced. A question for both of you, what impact are consumer expectations having? So Dan, I'll go ahead and start. We, I've been just overwhelmed by the increasing awareness of the, the buying community. Consumers are asking a lot of questions about where products come from. In some cases, it's because they're concerned about environmental impact and climate change. In other cases, such as this one, it's because they're, in, they're concerned about human rights. And we're really encouraged by the engagement of consumers who are marrying their buying power with the authorities of the U.S. government to send the message that unfair or forced labor is unacceptable. To build off what Brenda just mentioned, uh, really the sophistication that consumers are, are acquiring. So their expectations uh, are likely to continue uh, and to get more sophisticated. They're better informed. They're demanding uh, and likely even uh, more prone to ask for information. We've seen that with fair trade and non-GMO production and labeling requirements and requests, obviously. And to Brenda's point, obviously, uh, country of origin, provenance of the product, how it was produced, everything has become really central to it uh, as consumers really uh, become better informed and ultimately are driving change. Okay, well, coming next, what can organizations do to respond and improve the situation? Next Wave Global Trade. So, Dan, how much more does the private sector need to pay attention to the problem of forced labor? The majority of companies, especially importers, and uh, it's probably not a fair characterization, but I'll put it that way, have an interest in ensuring the integrity of their supply chains from all threats, uh, including forced labor. Um, that, that's uh, a perspective that I think most going concerns are going to, to have. Their reputations and abilities to grow, uh, if not continue as going concerns, really depend on paying attention and close attention going forward. Brenda, with many businesses left reeling from the COVID pandemic, could there be consequences if their investments in social compliance are compromised? I think making the decision to invest in social compliance for many companies becomes harder to sustain under such economic pressure. But I think the risk of not 
continuing that investment and not continuing the commitment to social compliance, following the rules, um, supporting workers um, in compliance with various regulatory regimes is really critical. And Brenda, talking of enforcement, what more can be done? I understand the US Customs and Border Protection has taken its first penalty. We have. We were very pleased. It was a a long-term investigation that led to a a penalty on um, some stevia, the the natural sweetener, that were being made, produced by prison labor. Um, We also were able to issue what is known as a finding, which is a a harder-hitting enforcement action following on a withhold release order. The message really that we are trying to convey with that penalty and with that finding is that we will not hesitate to continue our investigations despite a very active set of allegations under uh, pandemic response, um, and that there are serious costs to pay, whether it is monetary cost um, as goods aren't allowed into the U.S., or brand and reputational cost that result from being called out in a CBP enforcement action. And Dan, the UK Modern Slavery Act obliged big businesses to report what they're doing to tackle modern slavery in their supply chains, but 40% didn't comply with the Act. So are modern slavery laws around the world too ineffective? So the short answer is yes, but. And I think that this is really a highly complex area, as, as you've heard in the, in the points that, that Brenda has brought up in the, in the discussion here. Ultimately, it's not an issue that's going to be resolved through legislation alone. Uh, and I think legislation will need to evolve around the world. So despite forced labor uh, being as a, an issue that's been around for many, many, many years, a long, long, long time, uh, country-specific and internal directives are sometimes catching up. Many countries don't have them yet uh, or haven't don't have the means to enforce them the way they need to. So maybe they're ineffective. I think the sophistication of global supply chains really does make it challenging for both countries and companies to understand everything that happens along. So there could be unintended consequences of uh, providing legislation that may be viewed as too strict because uh, legislation is different in each country and that application is something that supply chains need to account for along the way. So it could really uh, have unintended consequences and impacts on the supply chain. Legislation does need to evolve to have uh, more of an incentive for companies to comply. That's clearly a commercial perspective that may not be something that that everybody uh, shares, but also for companies to really help drive solutions to forced labor. That's something that is really incumbent on the commercial sector to help solve and drive out altogether. We've seen many organizations this year accelerating their use of technology. Let's get both your thoughts on how technology and tools like AI could help identify forced labor in the supply chain. Brenda? What we really need to look at is how can we use the data to recognize when trends and patterns are changing in a way that indicates a lack of compliance with a regulatory framework, including uh, potential labor abuses or um, forced labor indicators. We do our investigations for forced labor around the 11 international labor organization indicators of forced labor, which can really lend itself 
to providing sort of a quantitative framework for assessing the trade data that we already receive. We have not yet started to apply our um, initial capabilities for AI to the forced labor challenge, but we are using a risk-based methodology to do our investigations. And our hope is that in the future, we will be able to um, fairly directly use AI tools and algorithms to detect where there is a, a high risk of forced labor. And Dan? There is no one set of tools that companies use. So there are some important ones that are, are coming to the fore. But uh, more importantly, there's no single system that these companies use either within their own supply chains or across that can really be more acutely addressed or perhaps enhanced through a single AI application. I think we also have to account for the importance of social media and how AI can interact with social media to help identify uh, things that are not necessarily uh, items that a company is going to find out on their own or a country. This would be social sentiment. This could be whistleblower types of, of uh, postings that uh, don't make it through official channels, etc. that need to be considered. All right. Well, to round off this podcast, we'll look at some potential outcomes next. Well, with global trade experiencing volatile times, what can we as members of the public do to support action against forced labour? Brenda, your feelings on this? I think two things, Justine, really need to be a focus. One is the continued prioritisation by governments around the world to ensure not only that they are holding importers accountable, but that in fact they support fair labour practices in their own countries. The second piece is really consumer action. Both Dan and I have referred a number of times to the opportunities that consumers have to ask questions. There's a saying here in the US about an educated consumer being the best customer. The consumers should directly ask the brands what the circumstances are around the production of the goods that they like. If they don't like the response that they get, they can then make an informed decision on what business to support and essentially use their wallets to vote. Now, Dan, what advice do you have for companies to help identify the issues that we've been discussing and then become more socially responsible? So sharing intelligence with industry partners, uh, I think once upon a time, competitive intelligence, and it still is for sensitive data, was was off limits to, to share with others. But helping supply chain participants understand what what they find in a given place uh, can really help undermining the abilities for forced labor to to become an endemic issue in certain places. It could even really kind of take away the base that draws to it, commerce and companies to it, in a way that we haven't seen before. Continued innovation is a huge piece. Uh, We talked a little bit about technology, so investing in technology and the right technologies Uh, Seeking automated solutions that help understanding local issues, interpreting local laws, um, and country-specific considerations and legislation in a way that really helps drive decision-making in the supply chain uh, is going to be a very important thing that companies will need to do. And finally, a question for you both. What does the picture look like for the next five to ten years in relation to forced labour and the supply chains? 
Justine, I think if the picture from the last five years is anything like what we can expect going forward, I think what we'll see is not only U.S. Customs and Border Protection continuing to increase its investigations and enforcement actions taken on forced labor. I think many of us recognize that trade really is a force for good. It can lift people up, it can raise living standards, but in order to do that, the, those vulnerable populations cannot be taken advantage of so that the rest of the world benefits. We also um, are likely to see additional testing technologies that will help agencies and organizations like CBP establish the country of origin, where goods actually came from, so we know that they were produced under clean conditions. We're going to see a very different landscape 10 years from now, or at least I hope we see a very different landscape 10 years from now. And Dan? I hope that uh, there are are more examples like the USMCA in terms of the inclusion of of provisions that ultimately address forced labor that become uh, a bit more prevalent as countries and regions and blocks look to uh, both uh, reinvigorate, reestablish, or even perhaps negotiate new new types of agreements. I think uh, ultimately technology is going to be part of the answer in what happens to ulti- whether we eradicate it, greatly reduce it in the next five to 10 years, uh, or what we do. I'm not exactly sure what that, that outcome is going to look like, but there's an opportunity to really rend asunder a lot of the practices that lead to, to forced labor and some of the conditions. I think uh, governments and companies need to be vigilant of the the use of technology against them, which is uh, also a big focus uh, of uh, many customs administrations in trying to understand how uh, bad actors are are going to leverage technology, whether it's either disinformation or providing false information or something that otherwise tries to mask issues like forced labor. I hope that uh, ultimately what, uh, what happens, though, is that there's a, a greater corporate conscience and urgency around really addressing some of these issues and, and helping companies writ large uh, side to side, whether it's sharing information, whether it's, it's really helping to expose issues that are happening in other supply chains because it is counter to comp- competitiveness ultimately and undermines the credibility as well as the integrity of the supply chain. I do hope that we see uh, great strides in, in those regards. And then, uh, obviously, the role of the multinational organizations, such as the World Customs Organization, the World Trade Organization, the ILO, and others that Brenda's already mentioned, are, are going to be critical and hope that they continue to evolve and, uh, and really help carry the, the message forward, as well as the ability to counteract uh, forced labor as a, a major issue in impacting global movement of trade. Well, that rounds off this edition of our podcast. I do hope you found our conversation interesting and valuable. Thanks to both our guests for sharing their insight on this important topic. Brenda, thank you for joining us. It was my pleasure, Justine. Nice talking to you. And Dan, thank you to you too. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Good to be here. Thank you. Next time, we'll continue to explore global trade and we'll be joined by more expert guests. Also, do subscribe to this series so you won't miss an episode. From me, Justine Green, Brenda and Dan, it's thanks for listening and goodbye. Next Wave Global Trade, back soon.